0: You're listening to an episode of Welcome to the Teachers Lounge, the podcast dedicated to honest conversations with educators about what they do and, more importantly, who they are. I'm your host, John LeMay, and I'm here to highlight the complex and rich lives led by teachers with diverse interests, identities, and stories. Hey there! Thanks for joining me on this week's episode, which is the final episode for the season. That's right, the podcast is taking a little bit of a break and will return later on in the new year for a new season, featuring a new set of conversations with a new group of wonderful educators. To finish things off for the season, we're doing something a little bit different. For one thing, we have a guest host for the episode, as Sarah Koppelkamp will be taking the reins for today's conversation. You may know Sarah as the guest on episode 5 of this podcast, as well as the co-host of The Couplecast, which you can subscribe to currently and check out, as it's in the middle of a wonderful second season. The reason Sarah is hosting today's episode is because I was otherwise occupied being the guest. I had heard from some listeners that it might be interesting to have the script flipped at some point, so I thought the final episode of the first season would be as good a time as any. Sarah and I discuss the dangers of comparing oneself to other educators. I share a story about a time when one of my high school teachers called me out on some unfortunate behavior in a kind and loving manner, and Sarah asks me about what I tell myself when I feel frustrated or discouraged on bad days, weeks, or months of teaching. I'm so appreciative of Sarah for giving me the opportunity to share some of my reflections on my own teaching experience. I had a blast talking with her, and if you like hearing what she has to say, please check out her episode, which again is number five, as well as the cobblecast, which you can find on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. All right. With all that being said, I'm gonna throw it over to this week's host, Sarah Copelcam, as she speaks with me, John Lemay. Enjoy. Hi, John. Hi Sarah.
1: Are you ready to get the tables turned on you today?
0: Um, I think so. Uh, intellectually, I am. I don't know if emotionally I'm, I'm fully prepared for it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to kind of get a, a dose of my own of my own medicine and see how this goes and see what it's like to answer some of my uh, inane asinine questions. <laughs> well,
1: the problem is, is that you know it's coming. So I'm sure you've overthought these answers.
0: You know, you would you would think that and I, maybe I have, but I've really been trying to like not not think about it. I mean, I, I devise all these questions because, like, they're things that I think I could answer in a somewhat interesting mm-hmm. fashion. So, I guess by its very nature, like, I guess I have thought about these, but I've been really trying very hard to, like, ensure that there's some level of spontaneity in our conversation. So, <laughs> well, we'll see who how knows? It goes. Maybe
1: I'll throw you some curveballs.
0: That would be great. That would be awesome.
1: So, it's been about a year since I was on this podcast. Yes, that is true. Um, And John got to interview me then about my own teaching practice both of us are still in the same jobs tell us what what grades you teach what you're teaching
0: so i teach uh ninth grade 10th grade and 12th grade okay and then i also am a hall parent so i live on campus so i live on a hall with a group of juniors and seniors so i really get to like interact with pretty much all grade levels of of high school
1: and this is what year of teaching for you
0: so this is my fourth year of full-time teaching, but I, I consider it like I've been the classroom uh, mm-hmm. for like around like six years, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I always have a hard time answering that question, too. So we're going to start with a standard John LeMay, welcome to the Teacher's <laughs> Lounge question here. And what I want to hear about is your first day of teaching, as much as you can remember. Um, tell yeah. me how that went.
0: Yeah, so I can remember, I can remember a lot, and I I realize that when I like when I devise this question, like in asking a lot of people, like a lot of people don't remember like as much as as I would think they do, and maybe it's because like it's so recent for me, but
1: mm-hmm. I think it was
0: also like fairly traumatic, and I kind of remember <laughs> for that reason. So I I kind of think of it as like it's kind of like a like two day spread in terms of like my first day so like many schools um at my the first school I taught at which is Lausanne Collegiate School in Memphis Tennessee we had like a a half day for our first day so it's pretty much just like yeah just like going through like your classes only like 20-25 minutes maybe 30 minutes at tops and the idea is really that you're just gonna like the kids are gonna go through like the routine of the day and then the next day they'll come in and and they'll have an actual like full day of school and I really thought that I had it all together, like, for the first day. I, like, had a plan (laughs) of, like, what we were going to do with the syllabus, and it was going to, like, involve them, like, accessing it on, like, their laptops and, and just kind of working in groups. And first off, I just, like, I can remember... Just the energy wasn't quite what I was expecting. Like, they just didn't seem excited to be there, <laughs> which was... God, how yeah, I, they? I know. Well, and my, like you, my, my first teaching experience was, was at St. Paul's at the Advanced Studies Program, which is for kids mm-hmm. who are really excited about school right. and learning. So I just could tell the energy was, like, not what I was, like... I just wasn't expecting it. So so that was, that was unfortunate. I could just sense it in the room for, with all of my classes. But I just encountered, like, a ton of technical difficulties. Like, that entire year was marked by, like, issues with the Wi-Fi. So, like, they couldn't access the syllabus. So I tried to, like, Ugh. email it to them. And I just didn't really know... To just kind of like let it be and say like hey just talk amongst yourselves about like your summers or, or get to know people yeah and then you're
1: like sort of scrambling around being like yeah oh, just one second sorry yeah, guys i'm so second, sorry yeah sorry
0: yeah i was and it was just it was it was awkward i felt i was like sweating profusely <laughs> like by the end of like first of or course, second period as one and does so yeah it, that was just kind of like the entire day and and i you would think that I would have gotten the hang of it by like third period. Cause I was teaching the same class, like three different sections of it, but I continued to make the same mistake and I just felt really incompetent and exhausted. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into my car and just talking with my, my roommate at the time, uh, who, who we, we carpooled together. I just remember like both of us saying like, Oh my God, this is going to be so difficult. Like this yeah. is like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Like, this is really hard. Um, So I came in the next day and this is like my most vivid memory like of that year. I came in the next day and I just knew that like I didn't I felt like I was totally incompetent in front of these kids. And I feel like on the very first day, like they could they essentially would be able to call my bluff that I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I devised like this on the it was like five, 10 minutes before class. I devised like this really gimmicky thing that I'm not like totally proud of, but there's part of me that's kind of proud of it i decided like i i asked the kids you know how was like your first day some of them said good some of them said bad i said like raise your hand if you were like overwhelmed at all yesterday pretty much all of them raised their hands because i was teaching primarily freshmen so it was like their first Mm -hmm. day of high school as well right and i was like yeah you know like me me too like it was really hard for me like i i was am getting used to the school as well like my day was marked by technical difficulties as you could tell probably Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I've like been thinking about that day and thinking about like experiences like this. And I had a piece of paper in my hand and I tore the piece of paper in half. And I said, on one hand, we can view experiences like that as like things that we should just like throw away and like forget about and pretend didn't happen. And I like crumpled the piece of paper and I just like threw it to the side. And I said, or we can think of it as things that we can internalize and like, grow from and like learn from to some degree.
1: Oh my god, I know what you did.
0: And then I ate the piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just ate it and I swallowed it and the kids like their mouths just like dropped and they were like, What? Amazing. And yeah, and I was just like, that's that was like my first like real moment of of teaching where like I actually had like a lesson or, or was actually like had control over the classroom and we just started the next activity and we were off to the races. Um, and it went better, and they were, you know, impressed by that and kind of, like, engaged in that aspect, and I kind of yeah, had... Yeah,
1: you gave them something unexpected, which I think is so important, especially in those first days when they're like, okay, we're going to go over another syllabus.
0: Yeah, and I it taught me that I had to tap into a different side of myself than I had mm-hmm. before. Like, I had to kind of tap into, like, the more, like, theatrical side of myself, my ability mm. as a performer... Mm -hmm. really kind of pushed myself as especially as an introvert I just knew that I would have to really do some things that would keep them engaged as opposed to just like talking to them or just like you know talking about the content so it was very emblematic of that shift that had to occur Mm -hmm. in that first year in order for me to like be a somewhat decent teacher
1: and it also seems like you tapped into a lot of authenticity in that moment like you were vulnerable with them about the fact that you felt that you had had a bad day as a teacher. Because, frankly, probably none of them even really registered that.
0: Totally, totally. They're so
1: absorbed in their own world on that first day that they probably were just like, okay, Mr. LeMay, whatever. But you yeah. were able to be really vulnerable and share that you were still thinking about that. And, like, you felt that like you had made mistakes. And I think that, I don't know, do you feel that your most authentic vulnerable teaching often happens like right before class or like the morning of you come up with something that's going to be really that just feels really authentic.
0: Yeah, or when I veer off whatever like plan I've I've created. Yeah, 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 for sure. I I yeah, and a lot of times like it's in response to something that something when something didn't go well or when a conversation or a discussion doesn't go as planned and you have to kind of like recalibrate in the moment. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you're definitely right. Like It definitely taught me that, at least for me personally, like that authenticity and that transparency is just really important in in terms of what I do in the classroom. Because I I am always aware of the fact that like I am, and I I, I use this phrase with my kids a lot, like I am a woefully imperfect educator. Like I just, I make a lot of mistakes and like I am not a polished, you know me, I'm not a polished person in very many aspects of my life. Like that's just not the way that I tend to be and I, I don't really yeah. aim for it because I, I find that's like a standard that I just won't be able to like adhere to so it's important to me for, to be able to like to communicate when things aren't going well or to rather than just like pretending that like oh yeah like that was that was all according to plan like you know I just it just does not <laughs> work for me personally
1: <laughs> and they know I think you and I talked about this on my episode this yeah um vulnerability and being an authentically flawed human in front of your students so it sounds yeah. like you really learned that lesson pretty quickly in yes. your first couple days of teaching
0: and it made navigating that entire year much easier because it was like a hard yeah. year and a lot of like yeah there was just I, there was a lot of times where I just did not have have it all together and I, I you know that's not to say that I was like always falling apart in, in front of my students but at least being able to say like okay this isn't really working or like let's let's shift gears a little bit because this isn't this isn't working for the situation
1: yeah can I ask you a totally asinine question
0: Please, I've asked plenty of them, so ask away.
1: Do you remember what you wore on your first or second day of teaching?
0: Uh, yes, I do. I mean, I I didn't have very many like nice clothes. Uh, before I started teaching, like I just didn't dress up very much. So yes, I had like I was wearing a gray dress shirt. I was wearing a um, like a silk. Like maroon tie, like I wear oh, like you did knitted. wear a
1: tie, okay.
0: Yeah, I wear I wear knitted ties, like that's like my, the, the, the kids call them sock ties, but they're yeah, like yeah. the square ties. Like that's all I wear. Um, <laughs> and then I wore like a pair of khaki like dress pants and a pair of uh like desert boots, and that. So was, So you like, went
1: very like like millennial formal, millennial business casual.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's like that's yeah, but that's that's all I am. Like I don't I don't have any variety. Like I'm very much as far as like style goes. Like I'm very. I guess minimalistic in the sense that, like, if something works for me, I just stick with that because, like, I just, mm-hmm. I'm bad at clothes shopping. It's hard to find things that fit me because, like, I'm really skinny. Um, so I just, like, if something works, I stick with that. You
1: have a, a uniform. Well, I ask this because you and I are both young teachers and both mm-hmm. of us look young and um, are fairly close in age to our students. And so I know that I think about my, like, physical presentation in front of the classroom a
0: lot. Um, oh my God. And yeah. have,
1: like, navigated that. And so I think it's interesting. That's why I ask.
0: Yeah, well and I and I look really young as well. Like I I have facial hair all so, even if it's just like a little bit. I need to have it because I have a baby face and I am I'm just I'm a tiny person. Like I'm yeah. super small and like it's very obvious, like that I'm on the younger side of things. Though kids, kids try and guess my age, and there's always like such a variety. Sometimes they'll guess I'm like 22, and sometimes they'll guess like 32. So uh-huh. I'm in that, well, or, the- you know, I'm in that age where I, I also could be like 16 very easily.
1: Yeah, it's the uh, the facial hair thing is a little bit of male privilege. I'll just say yeah,
0: totally. I'm really
1: jealous of my peers, my male educator peers, because you get some instant authority with your facial hair that I just no, cannot yes.
0: get. <laughs> I know I do. I do recognize and I I, I appreciate I appreciate. It. I'm very thankful. I need for to that.
1: grow a mustache. Yeah, um, go for it. So, John, have you known that you wanted to be a teacher? I know I know personally a little bit about your history and education, but I'm curious, like. When was the first time it occurred to you that this might be something you wanted to do? And how long has that process been?
0: Yeah, so I I probably discovered that I wanted to be a teacher to some degree, like around my sophomore or junior year.
1: Of high school or college?
0: of Of high school, sorry. Yeah, okay. of high school. Yeah, so I, literature has always been like the most important thing to me. I've always been like a voracious reader. I've always read like pretty, you know, for a while there, I was reading well above like whatever, like my, the grade level was because well I'll, I'll probably talk about more uh, I'll probably talk about that more like when I talk about what kind of a student I was but you know it was you just think like you just
1: know everything I'm gonna ask don't you well yeah you're right <laughs> you're
0: right sorry <laughs> it might I might talk about it but yeah it, it I was um I had wanted to be a lawyer for a pretty long time since I started going to school like in eighth grade because I was homeschooled before then and since I started going to school I just like thought that I wanted to be a lawyer I think because I thought of myself as being, like, really good at arguing or something. I don't know. It was just, like, it kind of made sense to me. And then I just, like, discovered that it's not the kind of work that I would want to do. um, And, uh, you know, a lot of, like, schooling and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of threw that to the side. But I had known, like, that I probably want to, like, major in English and then go to law school. And then I went to a summer enrichment program at Phillips Exeter um, so this was the summer before we met each other at, at St. Paul's mm-hmm. so yeah it was like a five week like summer enrichment program where we took like discussion based classes and it was just I, I love that style of learning and I love like that idea of like it being student-centered and like facilitating conversations with students and really going in depth um, like with a text or a book of some sort and that just made me realize like the kind of stuff that i like to do the kind of like conversations i love to have like the kind of work i like to do is is more like conversation based as opposed to this yeah. idea of like being a lawyer who is like you know listing off all these reasons for i don't know <laughs> what lawyers do um yeah you see, you it's funny movies. the
1: mythologies we develop around careers when we're young or yeah. that we receive around careers like if you're good at arguing lawyer's are a great career for you if you want to help people totally. you should be a doctor and and it's in, that's pretty early actually senior junior year of high school to realize that the experience of that career might not have been the same as like the possible outcomes
0: yeah yeah I, I don't know what exactly like what the moment was when I realized it wasn't going to be like a it wasn't gonna be a good fit but that so from that moment though I, I really wanted to teach at the college level like I knew mm. the kind of conversations I, w- I wanted to be having about literature because I just like I said I just I love literature I love like reading like literary criticism like I would always like read like the intros to like these works of literature that were just like you know wow. really long, like I know I was such How precocious of you, <laughs> I know, but that those were the and then I knew that I thought at least that I could have those conversations at the high school level as easily as I could at the university level, so I wanted to be a college professor, um and I went into to college, majoring in English, knowing that I wanted to be a college professor um and you know an educator of, to some degree but i also knew that would require a lot in terms of like you know going to grad school and i just didn't really know if i wanted to do that right out of college or if i would be able to like if i would be able to afford it so that's when i like tapped into the idea of maybe teaching at the high school level and transitioning into college at some point i knew that i wanted to take the internship at St. Paul's which is where we met for the second time mm-hmm. and that was kind of like an opportunity for me to test the waters and see if teaching at the high school level was something that I could do. And I I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it when I went back the second time around. And I went into my senior year really knowing that that that's what I wanted to do for for a little bit and just be involved in education to some degree and and have it Mm -hmm. be like obviously centered around literature, which is the most important thing to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just had great relationships with my English teachers as well and my high school teachers. So I, I just knew that, like, that impact, like, I could have a really positive impact on, like, high school students, even though if I'm not having the kinds of conversations about literature that I, you know, wanted to be having.
1: Right. The, yeah, the conversations might not be as high level, but some of the interactions might feel more meaningful
0: right and I've also discovered just in conversations with like people who teach at the university level like that those are not guarantees that you're even going to be having like those that's true crazy conversations like in-depth scholarly conversations about literature it all depends on where you teach like what kinds of classes you're teaching so I I very I learned very quickly that like it really just depends on where you are and like what kind of school you're teaching at Mm -hmm. and you know I love the kind of conversations I'm having with my high school students sometimes they're they're the kinds of conversations that I anticipated having like when I first knew I wanted to be a teacher when I was like sitting in like those classes at, at Phillips Exeter or St. Paul's.
1: Yeah. There's a poster in our, one of our teacher workrooms. It's a, I think it's from teaching tolerance and it says, um, there is no meaningful learning without meaningful relationships. And it's yeah. just one of those posters that I see all the time because it's there. But I do think that that's a very true statement. And I think sometimes in the high, the high school setting, you can get those more meaningful relationships just through the nature of spending more time with kids. And then you end up being able yeah. to have the higher level conversations that you would want to have, you know, in college classes where you really don't get as close all the time with your professors. So...
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you are much more... So you and I are both English teachers, but you are much more, I think, driven by the texts and the literature than I yeah. myself am. I think, I, though I'm... a big reader and a lover of books, I think that I would probably teach any content area that I was capable of teaching and be equally happy. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious um, if there are any books or texts either about pedagogy and education or just kind of literature that you feel most inform your teaching practice.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So when you say like any sort of books, do you mean like, so you you say like any books about like pedagogy, but then just any books in, in general? Or
1: literature. Like are there books that you love so much that they like make you want to teach them. What are those texts?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, when I started teaching, I, I inherited like my curriculum. So like I wasn't mm-hmm. choosing the texts that I was teaching, nor did I want to. Um, mm-hmm. So some of the, like my favorite things that I've taught have been things that have been selected for, for me. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, th- there have been a handful of times where I've brought in like some texts and I've decided like, you know, at the beginning of the year that I wanted to insert like a new a new book into the, the curriculum but it sounds like I mean are you essentially asking me like what my favorite things to teach are?
1: No, I I think that, that you can interpret that way, but I'm just curious what texts feel most meaningful in your teaching practice or in, in inspiring your teaching practice.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's a good question. I'm putting is, him is on the spot the first, people. Yeah, this is the first the first curveball. Well, you know, I so I teach a lot of poetry. Um, yeah. That's like something that I, I always try to make it a habit or like a practice to bring as much poetry into the curriculum as as possible. Not always coming coming in with like an idea of what poems I'm going to teach, but just knowing mm-hmm. that I want it, that I want to engage with it um, to some degree. And that's because one, I, I love poetry like that is that is my favorite form of literature. I write poetry as well, and it's super important to me, but I find that just like the the task of trying to make students or allow students to give students the opportunity to engage with poetry and enjoy it is really important to me because they come with so many like preconceived notions about like yeah. whether or not they'll be able to understand it like whether or not they have access to it and just really breaking down those preconceptions and just teaching them to like just read the poem just think about what is actually being communicated as opposed to jumping to like what the meaning of the poem is um that is that practice requires a lot of patience on my end and on their end as well and i think it's really it's really informed just like the way that i approach teaching in in yeah. general just in terms of like being okay with them coming away with some with some sort of you know change in how they engage with whatever the subject matter is whatever the text is Um, And then also just being okay with, like, those small victories. Like, if they at least, like, Mm -hmm. read a poem and, like, didn't get super frustrated by, like, not understanding it right off the bat, even if they didn't get the correct, like, the quote-unquote correct interpretation... Like just being able to claim that small victory and being okay with that was was huge. That was hugely influential for me because I definitely came in expecting to have certain types of conversations with my students. And those conversations did not happen. They just weren't happening, not because of the school that I taught at, just because it was, you know, I was teaching kids who were being forced to go to school as opposed to electing to go to a summer program where they would, you know, learning really of their own accord.
1: Yeah, that is a major shift. And I, I think I, you really inspire me to teach more poetry in my classroom. I think it, that's been a big goal of mine for a while. So I love that answer. Um, I don't know if I actually ha-
0: answered the question or not. <laughs> no,
1: but I think you did because like poetry as a genre being the thing that kind of lights you up to teach and also yeah. being the thing that you love to bring into your classroom. That's a great answer. Um, Have you had to let go of some of your desire for kids to get certain things out of certain texts? Yes. Like as somebody who loves to analyze literature, have you had to be okay with kids walking away from certain texts, maybe not getting part of it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's always a battle for me. Um, And it just taps into that patience aspect of just being okay with... Providing them an opportunity to just like wrestle with the text and and being okay with whatever it is they got out of it, or being okay with them not getting getting anything out of it. It's like, right? I teach creative writing, and my creative writing class sometimes is really just me bringing in my favorite pieces of writing, and my students not liking them. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, tell, yeah. Tell me Something why they're, really they're weird, bad. and
1: they're like, "What is this?"
0: Yeah, yeah. Or like, what's the point? That's a <laughs> that's a question I get a lot. So, uh, yeah, I that oftentimes forces me to just like again, just tap into that that patience aspect yeah. of it. But yeah, I I like I said, I came in with a preconception of what kinds of conversations I would be having, and mm-hmm. I realized that that's not always. Those are not the conversations that they need to have, or those aren't the skills that they need to develop. Um, mm-hmm. And just I need to remind myself that teaching at the high school level is different than teaching at the college level like some people who teach at the high school level are not able to would not be able to make that shift to the high, college level and some people who teach at the college level would not be able to go you know and right. teach at the high school level and you know it applies to elementary school and middle school as as well so yeah it's i have been forced to let go of a lot of just desires in terms of what my kids get out of a text or you know get out of a single lesson because I might come in with like this really wanting to talk about like this major theme in the great Gatsby but we really spend all of the class just talking about like a really basic plot point and trying yes. to like parse out what happened and I, I in my head I'm saying like this shouldn't be this confusing like this isn't that yeah. hard but then I realized like no it, it is for them for whatever reason
1: yeah yeah one thing that I've noticed about my students particularly my ninth graders and this has been a sh- uh, Something I've been thinking about is how much they want to just talk about characters yes, and character development and trajectory. And initially that was frustrating for me because I'm like, well, what about what the author is doing? What structural yep. things are happening? But then you realize, or when I made this mental shift toward, oh, they're learning how to empathize and using these characters to develop understanding and empathy for their world. That was a shift that helped me to be more comfortable with what I and you might also perceive, perceive as lower level conversations.
0: Totally, and some of them are just learning to like talk, like mm-hmm. in a room of of people that they don't necessarily Absolutely. feel comfortable with because they're not their yeah. friends or or whatever. That that is huge, and you know, I, I I try to challenge myself to not get too comfortable with that of identifying when, like, okay, we we've talked about this enough, but now let's let's push right. ourselves a little bit. But you know, I've had enough classes where the kids just don't talk at all. Yeah, that I I really I, I try to recognize like those victories when the kids are just able to talk about something like character development or motivation or something like that, without letting it become just a book club, right? Because it can very right. easily, you know, right, be right, that. right.
1: That's and that's an interesting distinction. Yeah. So um, so I want to hear about John Lemay, as a high school student. Mm-hmm. I personally got to witness John Lemay as a high school student a little <laughs> bit, did. but. Tell me what you were like in middle school, maybe if you want to talk about that. High school and then college. What were what was your life as a student like?
0: Yeah, so I had an interesting trajectory because, like I mentioned earlier, I was homeschooled until eighth grade, and I I'm one of five boys. Um, I have four brothers, and you know, I homeschooling was not a really good fit for me. Um, mm-hmm. I just didn't really like it, um, especially once I got like closer to like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, like I just, I really just hated it. I I think I really needed like that social aspect of being in school. I just wasn't enough of a self-starter to be able to like sit down and like do my lessons by myself and in like an organized way and like checking my answers. Um, Oftentimes I would like skip my lessons to like just go read instead i would just read yeah so i would say like in terms of like what i actually got out of it like the only thing that i was like consistently like getting quality like education with was english maybe math as well but like english was like the consistent thing so right but i you know i didn't feel i didn't feel smart i didn't feel like i was a good student i i thought i kind of thought of my education as being like kind of lackluster um just because of again my own like unwillingness to really really dive into it so my parents sent me to high school or so they, they sent me to public school in eighth grade um and i did i walked in just really thinking of myself as pretty dumb honestly hmm. like i did not think of myself as a good student i did not think of myself as smart um and i discovered pretty quickly that i i was a good student like i i I did my homework. I got fairly good grades. I remember like getting my first report card and being on the honor roll and being like, "Wow, like this is this is incredible!" Like I didn't think of myself as like having the potential to be a good student. And I yeah. remember a moment with my eighth grade um, math teacher or so- social studies teacher. Um, I thought that she didn't like me because she wasn't calling on me very often. And I remember, like, wrestling with it. I was like, should I talk to her? Like, should I see if, like, there's something that I'm doing or something that I'm saying that she's not okay with? And so I did. And she she was like, I don't call on you because I want to give other people a chance because you oftentimes, like, will know the answer. And, again, that mm-hmm. was just, like, a huge moment where it's like I never thought of myself as having the potential to be this kind of, of person.
1: Right. And having not been in classroom spaces from a very young age, you didn't yeah. have experience with that dynamic of, like, the, the kids who get called on a lot and the kids who don't. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I yeah, I had no idea that was a thing apart from like reading Harry Potter and like seeing like oh Hermione my Granger. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So from there, I was I was just a good student throughout throughout high school. I worked really really hard. Um. You know, particularly in my English classes, I always really enjoyed my English classes. But just in general, like I I aimed to please. Um, I think I just really recognized that I was in a situation where I was learning and I was in a situation that worked better for me as a student. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to take advantage of of that. And in a lot of ways, I think I also benefited from not being in the school system for very long. So I I think that I just had a lot of momentum and I just didn't get tired of like being in my small public school system. But I was a good student. I had really great relationships with my teachers um I just was in general brought up to be very respectful of authority and and adults um so I I viewed my teachers as you know good people who had like good intentions um even maybe ones who did not have great intentions but I remember like always hearing about like other students like you know bad-mouthing teachers and I was like how how could you do this like they're <laughs> they're grown-ups like we don't talk about grown-ups this way um And uh, and I had good relationships with my peers. Um, I benefited from going to a small school and I I came into school in eighth grade, like kind of like at the point where there weren't a lot of new kids. So I was Mm -hmm. like the new kid and Mm -hmm. I was, you know, fairly well liked. Like I I try to be kind to people. So I I was pretty well liked and I, I was super involved. That was like the superlative that I got when I when I graduated, like in the yearbook, I was I was quote unquote most involved but I like did everything. I was just like super sure. I was like class president for a while. I was in student council, I was in math team, like quiz Bowl. I was like a three season uh runner as well. so I was super super involved as mm-hmm. well yeah, so I mean that's that's just kind of like broadly speaking the kind of student that I was. Um, I as a person, I was very, very religious um, mm-hmm. back when I was in high school. my family was very religious and i I too was very religious. I was very, very conservative as well. Um, I had a, a McCain Palin sticker on my locker, like during like the <laughs> the two thousand seven, two thousand eight election. Um, mm-hmm. That has since changed. I so I've changed in a lot of ways like, in that aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I, you know, I was in many ways like very. I believe what I believed, and a lot of it was also because like that's what my parents believed. But sure. I. You know, I was very, I tried to be very steadfast, like with my faith, and um, I tried to communicate that to other people, but in a way where I wasn't necessarily like shoving it down their throats. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was always done successfully. I think there were probably Mm -hmm. some times where I would alienate people um, with that, but. Yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of like the general the general portrait of, of what I was like as a of student. Of little John LeMay. Yeah, I had I had a bowl cut as well. That's, re- that's very noteworthy. Um, I it had really very, very long hair. I mean,
1: it was more of a, a shag, I would say. Yeah,
0: that's true. There was a little more shagginess to it. That is true.
1: Now that you're a teacher, do you find that you relate more to students who are like you were in high school? Or do you find that you connect with students who are not so much like you were in high school?
0: Yeah, I, I would like to say that I can connect with, with both and I, and I try to, I'm sure
1: you connect with all of them, but yeah,
0: well, I, I, I think I try to, because like, I, yeah, I was a good student, but I also like, I, I did, I had to work really hard just to get the grades that I, that I got. And I, Mm -hmm. I always kind of felt like there were some aspects of just my own like familiarity and comfort with certain subjects that just wasn't really there. And it was made very clear to me that just like I that I had a ceiling. That like I I could work as hard as I could and Mm -hmm. I would still end up getting like a B or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I I discovered that like around like my junior senior year. So I definitely empathize with students who have to work hard, especially also like I have brothers who are not particularly academically, you know, strong or or school didn't serve them very well. Like they were not served by their academic situation. So I, I really understand I think more so than my students and also my students' parents might um, assume it just in terms of the fact that like school is not for everyone. Not yeah. every subject is going to be for everyone, and I and I try to make my students okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I think I suffered from a lot of anxiety in high school around grades, and I there was a lot of just stress to like to do well. I was a first mm-hmm. generation college student, so I was mm-hmm. really worried that I wouldn't be able to like go to college or go to the right college if I didn't do everything perfectly. So. I that was a very negative aspect of my high school experience that I only started to recognize in college, I think, after Mm -hmm. I'd already kind of like experienced like my first B or like my first B Mm -hmm. minus on like an essay or something like that. And so I try to communicate that to my students as well. So I, so I, I struggle to answer your question because I don't really know exactly like what kind of a student I necessarily was. Like on the surface, it, it was very clear that I was a high-achieving student, but there was always so much other stuff going on. There was on. a lot of
1: other stuff going on. Well, and I think that's a good a good lesson for how we look at our students because yeah. on the surface, they might be one way, but there's always more to the story than just the kinds of grades you get or your work ethic or – you know your mood when you come into the classroom, so I'm sure yeah. that that helps you have empathy for all of your students.
0: Yeah, well, I try to, and I, and I do not always like there are certain and it's types not of students easy. that I yeah yeah there and I as as someone who is like fairly well behaved and like aim to please like adults like I I have a really hard time with those students who just do not care at all about yeah. that like I I just I struggle and I don't know how to I don't know how to reach them I I don't know mm-hmm. how to like you know do it in a way where it's just where I don't just like say you need to do this because that's what I expect of you, so yeah. I, I I need to work on that. I think um, just in terms of trying to reach them and not you know quote unquote like giving up on them, yeah, um, and just really, or just like, assuming recognizing, that
1: they don't want to learn,
0: yeah, totally, yeah, totally. or that <laughs> they don't like me or anything like that because they're also like they're also complicated. Like we yeah. we all are. We all have so yeah. much that that's going on. So I need to like recognize that with my students as well. So I would say that's the one like blind spot I have. Is just those students who really just don't who just don't appear to not really care and not be like motivated in that aspect
1: for sure no those are hard um my next question is my favorite one that you ask um which is how are we failing our students and i love that you asked this question because i love to be a critic of our education system Mm -hmm. um but i also think that's how we improve our education system so tell me how you think we fail our students
0: yeah, it's it's funny because I when I devised this question like and I I remember asking it to you, I I, I remember you mentioning like that you kind of like want you think more about like the education system as a whole. But mm-hmm. I think for me because I'm just so focused on again like on presenting myself as a as a woefully imperfect educator, like mm-hmm. I really think a lot about like what it looks like when I when I personally fail my students um okay. as opposed to like the system sure. as a whole. So in Let's terms talk of like what it that. looks like yeah, so What it looks like when I fail my students, it's really when I just it's when I'm not patient with them or when I'm not patient with myself. When I fail to recognize that I have a lot of time with them Mm -hmm. um, and not not even time like in the day, because I don't think 50 minutes is a particularly large amount of time. But Mm -hmm. just in terms of like having them like for the entire year um, and, and being okay with them not getting something Whether it's like the content, like their ability to write an analytical paragraph or their ability to use a comma correctly, but also just like, you know, thinking about like that character development, like if they're continuously doing something or talking about something in a way that I find to be troubling or problematic or frustrating, um, just recognizing that like they they can and most likely will change at some point. And it might not happen when I want it to, but but it will it will happen. And I, I tell this story to my students and to a lot of a lot of my friends as well of when I was in high school. um, It was my sophomore year, my honors world literature class, and it was during the election. So at that point, Hillary Clinton and and Obama would have been still been like wrestling for like the democratic nomination okay and i remember there was a classmate of mine who was talking about like how excited she was at the notion of hillary clinton becoming like the nominee like the first female Mm -hmm. nominee and i don't know if i was actually involved in the conversation or not but i decided to make myself involved with the conversation so i said something along the lines of like well I just don't really believe that Hillary Clinton would make a good president because she's a woman and like women are not good at controlling their emotions and I just think that's like something that would be required like of the job. I know, I know. And you know this was a thing that I thought was totally okay to say in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember how how my classmate responded. But my teacher, Miss Doyle, my, my favorite teacher of all time, she pulled me aside after class and was like, you know, John, like, I know that you believe what you believe and that's okay. However, in that moment, like, I really wish you would have thought about what it was like for for Nikki, oh, I just used her name, uh, sorry, sorry, Nikki, um, for Nikki to, like, hear that from you, like, from a male classmate, like, as a woman, like, given her experiences mm-hmm. of, like, being of being a woman like what it was like for her to experience that from someone like that she you know is is in class with and someone that she respects and and she she had a really great conversation with me in that moment and like she could have in that moment totally freaked out and yelled at me and like obliterated me in front of the entire class but she didn't like she had a conversation with me she was like very patient with me and she recognized that like that was an opportunity for like a teachable moment on like a one-on-one basis
1: wow that's remarkable
0: yeah and there were plenty of times like where i i had interactions like that i was a teenage boy and i was said stupid things and did stupid things and had my blind spots but you know teachers were patient with me and i'm sure many of them recognize that like you know this is a person who will probably grow someday and i still have a lot of growing to do but Mm -hmm. you know that is like one area where i look back on that like i obviously recognize that it was wrong and i recognized it was wrong after it was brought to my attention um so I think just for us to be able to have those types of conversations and be patient in that way is is really important to me, and I, I try yeah. to really recognize that, and, and I'm very much inspired by like the way that Miss Doyle treated me like in that in that particular moment.
1: Yeah, that's incredibly inspiring. It's hard though; being patient yeah. is very hard, and I think the I love the way you articulated it because sometimes we don't get to see the kids get the results that we want them to have, mm-hmm. and it may take years for them to reach that point but yeah. that doesn't mean that the work we did in that moment didn't help them reach that point later on and i think yeah. that's hard because we don't get to see it all the time but i try to hold that with me
0: yeah yeah and we, yes and when we like we don't get that satisfaction from saying like oh yeah this is a, like i i did something and this is the results and i get to you know use that yeah. you know cuz like we all i don't know i have an ego as a teacher for sure, sure. and i and sometimes feel like I need that ego to be fed. Um, and sometimes it's not being fed or in the way that I want it to be fed.
1: Yeah. And, you know, do you think Miss Doyle knows that that one moment that she pulled you aside is something that sticks with you and continues to resonate and inform you?
0: You know, I don't know if I've communicated that moment her. in particular. I, I should, I, I talk with her every now and then, or I I try to, and she, and she's very well aware of, of like how much I've changed since high school in, in so many ways. So I think she probably yeah. feels, and she, she told me, she was like, you're going to go to college and you're going to become like a liberal and you're going to become a Democrat. And I was like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. She would always like refer to me as like a, like a closeted, like Democrat, like a closeted that's like, liberal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think another another way that we fail our students is just not recognizing just how complicated like their lives are, just yeah. in general. Um, recognizing how much they're they're doing. I think I think you've mentioned either on your episode or maybe just in listening to your to your podcast. I think you've mentioned just how much work we give students. So much uh, work. Yeah, we give them so much work. We we view their days as just like these things that need to be filled with like, just stuff all the what time. What we
1: deem to be important.
0: Yeah and I just I don't think we really recognize like how hard it is for students to to have to squeeze all this in and also yep. like get sleep and and Yeah and, and be with you know,
1: friends and family
0: totally totally so I think that we just need to really change how we how we view that and yeah it's hard because I think a lot of people think like well I was able to do that but they but it's it's harder it is harder to be in high school now harder. than it was even when we were in high school like it is harder yeah. to get into college than it was and it hasn't been that long and and that's something we just have not really reconciled with and I don't think we have a good yeah, like a good mechanism in place to make sure that students are learning the material and they're kept accountable for the material, but in a way that doesn't just, just pack their days with stuff to do. Yeah, they're stressed absolutely. and they're tired they're all the so time. They're so stressed
1: and anxious and depressed, and there are very real like, mental health and physical health ramifications from that. Yeah. I also think it's really important that they have th- time to do things that they deem to be important. Yeah. And figuring out what they think is important and how they want to use their time. Yeah. It's so hard to make big changes in the education system to reflect our values. And I think a lot of it involves getting rid of some of the narratives we have about young people. um, Yeah. That they just are being lazy and not... I hate the narrative about procrastination, that they all just procrastinate. And I recently assigned an essay um about habits we do personal essays in 11th grade and the assignment was habits and i think 80% of my students wrote about procrastination <laughs> um wow and yeah. i got all these essays and i read them and they were, were there was so much angst and just self-loathing about how much they procrastinate and my only thought was if this is how many of you are dealing with this the problem is not you it's the system we are doing yeah. something wrong so that really made totally. me reflect yeah so You may already have a quote in mind for the next question, but Mm. I think I want to phrase this question in a particular way, which is when you're having a bad day of teaching, what is the thing that you say to yourself or a bad week of teaching or a bad month of teaching? What is the thing that you hold with yourself and say to yourself that keeps you going?
0: Wow. So, so there's this writer named uh, Parker Malloy, and she does this thing on Twitter where she, um, she has like this thread where every single day she tweets, um, "I tried my best today, I'll do better tomorrow," mm. or it's some some version of that that sentiment. And I actually I think about that a lot when when I'm having a really bad day of teaching when things have not gone. As well as they as they could have, um, when I had like negative interactions with with my students, um, I I really try to remind myself of that. Like I try to yeah. say, like I, I I tried my best, and I will do better tomorrow, or I will do the same thing tomorrow. Just kind of being okay with what I've done and recognize that like I did the best with what I had. Um, I did the best with whatever circumstances were in front of me. Yeah, it wasn't perfect, but my intentions were were good, and I really wanted to reach my students in in the most you know beneficial and enriching way possible and i'm going to try and do the same exact thing tomorrow Um, because i do have you always have tomorrow right like that goes back to that time aspect of just recognizing that you have a lot of time with these students whether it's a semester-long class whether it's a year-long class whether it's a you know a group of students that you're going to be working with for an extended period of time for uh, an athletic season anything like that so just yeah. trusting my instincts and and being okay with with what I have done is is huge for me.
1: What other philosophies or core values or words inform your teaching practice? Hmm.
0: When I started at Pennington, I was talking with another teacher, and she. I was just talking about, like, you know, the nerves that I was, I was carrying with me about, like, the first day. And she just said something along the lines of, in order to teach them effectively, um, you need to show them that you love them. Mm. Yeah, and that, when I started at Pennington, I, I really came in with a, with the intention of being, like, a the phrase I use is a better and kinder educator. Um, Because, you know, in in my first years of teaching, I I did have to activate like a different side of myself, which was like a more performative side, but also like kind of a mean side, to be perfectly honest. Like I I was kind of a yeller. Um, I Mm. would I would try to get things across using volume um, as opposed to uh, intention and well chosen words. I can I can be very sarcastic. And sometimes that would come out come out in the classroom, sometimes in ways that were totally fine and other ways that probably weren't totally necessary. Yeah. So I really do try to think about the role that love plays in, in my classroom, not in a, in a necessarily always like an emotional, like lovey-dovey kind of sense, but just like a genuine connection, a genuine love for what I'm teaching, um, like viewing what we're doing as an act of love, like us being here as an yeah. opportunity for that to take place. and. You know, that's, that can be hard sometimes because I don't know if I always come across as being like that kind of person to my students. I've been told by my students that I can be hard to read. I don't know, that I just, I have a really good poker face. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. I'm not aware of the fact that I have a good poker face. So I'm not always aware of like the way in which I, I come off to my students. But I I try to at least bring that into the classroom and, and talk about like the emotional health aspect of it and just trying to like, show my students that i care about them and that i i really view them as people who are worth engaging with in in a substantial manner which that can mean that i that can mean that i view their feelings as being you know, valid and their experiences as being valid, but it can also mean that I'm holding them to a very high standard because I believe yes. that they're capable of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, cap- I believe they're capable of changing. I believe that they're capable of growing and they're capable of doing better than they're currently doing because I don't want them to feel like they're coasting in any aspect of their, of their time in my class.
1: Yeah. You have to love them all. I, yeah. I, I really think you do. And that looks so different for each and every individual and some of my students that I've had the most conflict with are the ones who I love the most deeply, or at least yeah. my love for them feels like the most uh, substantial in some way, because you do have to get over so much conflict with those students. So yeah. I think that's a really beautiful thing to guide your teaching. That's, yeah. That's and, I, and I
0: and I don't know if it is actually guiding it, but it's it's something I'm really trying to aim for. Um, just in yeah. this kind of this current chapter of my, of my time as an educator.
1: Do you think, so it sounds like when you first started teaching, you kind of fell back on some of the, um, tropes of, you know, having to be stricter because you're a new teacher and having to really lay down the law. If you were advising someone who was just starting out teaching, would you warn them against being that way? Or would you encourage them to be that
0: way? I think, I think that... It depends on you. Like, I think different things work for different teachers and Mm -hmm. different things. Yeah, different different things, different phrases, different practices can come across differently for for different teachers. So I, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to do what works for you ultimately and to recognize that you are your own teacher and to compare yourself to other teachers is really unhealthy you know, I have an entire network of teacher friends like that I that I follow on social media that I'm friends with and I see the stuff that they're doing and I would include you as, as one of them. And it's very easy for me to look at that and, and say, oh, like I'm not doing that. Like I should mm. I should do that type of assignment or I should structure my classes in this way or I should structure my board in this way. <laughs> and I have to recognize that like that's, yeah, I, I can do some of that, but also some of it is just not, it's not me. It's not gonna yeah. work for me. It's, it, it's, I'm gonna try to do it and it's gonna come off the wrong way it's going to be like a failure and it's going to make me feel worse about myself so absolutely but that being said like yes you should be kind to students like you you should you should in general like not (laughs) like emotionally destroy them um which i don't think i did very much of but i i definitely there were some moments where i was just i could have been kinder and i could have been a little you know less um yeah less less mean um so, yeah, well, in general, I would say that it's, it, I would encourage teachers to, to av- avoid that tendency and to always try to be, you know, to try and, and get something across with, with intention and well-chosen words yeah. as opposed to volume, like I said earlier.
1: Right. I think that, that, that kind of teaching, that kind of discipline often comes from a place of fear of being yes. afraid of losing control of the classroom. And I tend to believe that any classroom or any leadership out of a place of fear probably isn't a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the the idea that you bring up of following other teachers on on social media and seeing what they're doing, I think that's a place where we all need to be careful about comparing each other because, it, as you said, we will never be the teachers that we, like, we have to be ourselves. I will yeah. never be a teacher who plans a lesson more than two days in advance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just exactly. Won't be.
1: And I, I know some people who plan out their whole years in a lot of detail and it's just never going to be me. And I think... Getting comfortable with those things and being transparent about them is really important toward being less anxious about yourself as a, as a as an educator.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have to trust your instincts at the end of the day, and recognize yeah. that that your instincts are not always going to lead you to the best result, and you're mm-hmm. going to make mistakes. And mm-hmm. and I I think that, and this is kind of going back to to the earlier question of how we what it looks like when we fail our students, but I think we fail mm-hmm. our students when we don't always. You know, ask ourselves, like, are we are we doing well? Like, is it? How is it going? Like, are we is there room for improvement? Like going in and seeing other other teachers, again, not to compare yourself to them, but just seeing how they handle a situation and, and recognizing that you could be. Yeah, you could be off base in terms of the way that you're packaging the material Um, And really being okay with them and being able to say like, yeah, it might be the students that are that are having a hard time with it. Or it might be that I just don't have like a great situation, but I also might not be handling it in the best way possible. Yeah. So I think what what has really kept me going as a teacher and what has allowed me to have the success that I've had is kind of just going in from the get go with the knowledge that I, I didn't or with the understanding that I didn't know anything that I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. That that was huge for me and I I really try to carry that and just try to be as as humble as I can and and to recognize that I have a lot of growing that I have to do and I and I probably always will as long as I'm a teacher.
1: Hopefully, that's the fun part.
0: Yeah. Even though it's very frustrating.
1: Yeah. And sometimes you look down this long road of being an educator and understanding that you will kind of never know anything and it feels a little daunting, but I think that's yeah. also what makes it an exciting career. I think so. Um you mentioned like going into other teachers classrooms and kind of looking at your own practice. And I found that kind of seeking inspiration or, or recharging, whether that's through rest and self care or through, for me, it's like going back to the advanced studies program where I get mm-hmm. to be around a lot of really passionate educators. Yeah. Um, those ways of kind of refilling your cup and seeking inspiration. What are some of the things in your life that kind of fill you up and allow you to do the very, very difficult work of being an educator.
0: Well, I I think definitely recognizing that I have interests that are not that are not teaching, mm-hmm. uh, and and really trying to cultivate those interests, um, and and being okay with doing that. Um, it's it's easy to look at, and this goes back to comparing yourself to other teachers. It's easy to look around at other teachers and see how just how all consuming education and, and teaching appears to be in their in their lives and say like, oh that, that has to be, be me hundred percent of the time. But like you're you're not recognizing that you're not seeing the other stuff that they're doing, right? You're not seeing yeah. the stuff that they're doing that isn't teaching. Um right. the nights that that are not being dedicated to grading a pile of essays in one sitting. So I think just recognizing that, like I said, I, I love poetry, I love writing, I love doing creatively oriented projects and, and carrying those out. So Doing that is 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 huge for me, right? Like just recognizing that yes, I'm a teacher, but it doesn't have to be the only thing that I do. It doesn't have to be the only thing that I think about. Um, that is very hard, especially when you live on campus, which which I do, and I I'm literally always surrounded by by teenagers, and I'm always yeah. interacting with them. Um, so it, it can be hard to get out of that headspace. But, um, yeah, I think just like continuing to cultivate those interests. Um, and then just, you know, for me, my first few years of teaching were really hard, like they were just really, really difficult. My time in Memphis was really difficult for a myriad of, of reasons, just a lot of things that happened to me. And I discovered that I needed to have a support system of people in yeah. place that I could just talk about the the highs and the lows of teaching, but just the highs and the lows of life. So I think Going through that really made me a more communicative person with people in my life, and just made me much more proactive about reaching out to people and having conversations and being you know in constant communication with people so and being
1: open when things aren't going well
0: yep absolutely absolutely yeah. so that that's huge for me in terms of being able to to recharge and just being able to talk about it and just being able to talk about when i'm frustrated talk about when I feel like I don't want to be a teacher anymore.
1: Oh my god, and we all have those moments, don't we?
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and I think we should ad- admit that and and be okay with that. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that that's that's a big part of it. Um but yeah, I think just recognizing again like that that there's a whole life out there that is not that is not my job. And I think it's easy to let teaching become your life and I think for the best teachers they're the best teachers probably because it is a big part of their life, but it doesn't yeah. have to be everything.
1: Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else you want to tell us or talk about before we move on to the final gauntlet?
0: Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I, you know, I started this podcast because I, again, going back to like my first, my first years as an educator, like I recognize that it's just that teachers are very complicated and there are so many things that go into teaching. And I think going through such a rough first few years of teaching really made me like, just reassess like my, the teachers that I engage with, like at all, you know, at all levels of my time as a teacher and just made me think a lot about like who, who they are, like what they were going through, like how, how well they were able to like kind of project like an image of everything being okay at every moment. Um, and I, I just, I don't know if I've accomplished it with the podcast, but a lot of what I've tried to do with it is just like have conversations with teachers about like yeah the the highs and the lows of what it means yeah. to be a teacher and you know i think that this actually goes back to your question from before what has helped me recharge as a teacher many times is these conversations with with other teachers because it's actually made me realize that the stuff that i've gone through the stuff that i continue to go through is just part of what it means to be a teacher at the end of the day yeah
1: yeah all of those self doubts are so important
0: yeah and no matter like where you are at any point in in your teaching career in your teaching trajectory um whether you're like what's considered a veteran teacher, you've been teaching for mm-hmm. upwards of you know 20, 25, 30 years, or if you're just in your first few years, like there are there are commonalities there, and there yeah. are things that just everyone has to go through, everyone continues to go through, and if you are in the in the process of going through that, to use a, a phrase from from last week's episode with Terrence Wilson, um, it doesn't mean that you're a defective model. <laughs> it just means that you're you're going through what it means to be to be a teacher. So that's that's a big part of what I think helps recharge me and what what helps kind of give me hope for whatever the rest of my teaching career looks like
1: yeah so John you ready for the final task
0: I am ready for the final task that's a good that's a good title for it actually I think of it as like the 30 second challenge but I think the final task gives it like much more of like the the sort of daunting aura that it has to have to have (laughs)
1: It feels very um, Harry Potter and the the Goblet of Fire.
0: Yeah. Well, Um, hopefully it turns out better for me than it did for... For Cedric? Yeah, (laughs) for Cedric.
1: Okay. Does this mean I think I need to time it because I'm the official one in charge? Yes, that's true. All right. So, John. Yes. I'm going to ask you to pitch yourself as a teacher describing your essence as an educator in just 30 seconds. Okay. Are you ready? Uh,
0: you know, no, I'm actually not. Like, you would think that I would be. You would think that I've, like, been thinking about that. But all the thinking that I may have done has gone totally out the window just in the course of our conversation. <laughs> so, no, I'm I'm not ready. Um, but that's I'm totally okay with that. And we're going to go ahead and, and let's, do this.
1: Let's do it. Um, Go ahead.
0: So if you're in my class, you are going to engage with a teacher who views you as someone who is worth talking to, someone who is worth hearing from. Sometimes it will be about literature. Sometimes it will be about things that you don't want to talk about. And other times it will be just about who you are as a person, trying to think about why you believe what you believe, trying to get you to articulate that. Sometimes it will be fun. Um, It will not always be fun. And uh, we're going to be okay with that because learning is about challenging yourself but is also hopefully going to be a meaningful and joyful experience
1: i it's interesting to me that you pitched yourself as if you were pitching yourself to a student yeah (laughs) that's really interesting yeah i think some people probably would think about that more as like how you would pitch yourself to another adult but it makes so much sense to pitch yourself to the people you'll actually be teaching yeah um okay we're gonna try that one more time but this time well actually twice more but this time We're going to do it in 10 seconds. Okay. All right. Ready? Go. Uh,
0: When you take my class, you are going to read a lot, you're going to talk a lot, and you're going to write a lot, and it will hopefully be an enjoyable experience where you will feel listened to.
1: Done. I love that you ended on feeling listened to. That's so essential. Okay. Finally, John, could you please summarize yourself as a teacher as an educator, in just one word?
0: Yes, I can. Um, that word is thoughtful. Mm. I try very hard to be thoughtful, um, sometimes uh, to a lot of success, and other times to my own detriment, because I do a lot of thinking about everything mm. but just teaching and whether or not I'm doing it well. I think a lot about my students, what they're going through, if they're being reached by me, if they're being served by me well, and and I, I want my students to feel like they are, that they are being engaged with in a, in a thoughtful, thoughtful manner. That's what I aim for at the very least, and I think that's what has allowed me to have some level of success with, with certain students.
1: Wonderful. Well, I have so enjoyed hearing you reflect on your own teaching practice, um, and thank you for bringing this podcast to all of us and letting us have a space to be our flawed human, messy teacher
0: selves. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to be on the other side of it. I just have to say, like, I recognize being on the other side of it that this is—it's really difficult. Like, what I'm asking is—is <laughs> is really difficult. I am—I am looking back at the things I said already, and I'm like, ugh, like. <laughs> What and you I, have to edit your say? own
1: episode, which is its own special kind of torture. So have fun it, with that.
0: Yeah, it is. <laughs> I will say that, yeah, one one really great aspect of this podcast has been I've become very okay with the sound of my own voice. Which yeah. is something that I used to really hate. Like, and I know everyone hates the sound of their voice, but I, the sound of my voice has had a very, like, specific impact on me, like, throughout my life. So, like, being okay with that is, like, a huge win. So if nothing else came from this podcast, if, like no one had their mind changed about anything or had like a different perspective formed at the very least like I'm good with the sound of my voice and so that's like a huge <laughs> win a huge win what in a my success. book my thanks to Sarah for hosting this week's episode if you enjoyed this week's conversation please do us a huge favor and leave a rating and a quick review and as ever please share and recommend the podcast to anyone who you think might enjoy it Finally, thank you so much for taking the time to check out Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge this season. Whether you've listened to every episode or one episode or some number in between, I can't sufficiently express how much I appreciate you joining me and my guests for these conversations. I'm so excited to continue the podcast, and I can't wait to share what we have in store for this next season. This podcast was created and hosted by me, John LeMay, our associate producer is Emily Mueller. Our cover art is by Katie Cooper. And our theme music is You Need a Visa by Really From. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join me next time for another episode featuring another teacher and another story.